Well, hello, hello, everyone. If you're not, if you don't know who I am, my name is Gabrielle Critchlow. I am the owner and director of A Step Ahead Tutoring Services. Welcome to a brand new episode of Hot Topics. So if you're not already familiar with this web series, this is the series where we talk real talk about things in education, employment, mental health, physical health, finance, anything else that is steamy. So today is a special episode because we are live streaming this. We are live streaming this on on our Facebook page, on our YouTube channel, and we're even giving Twitter a shot. <laughs> um, so um, I'm looking to see how that turns out. And this is a special one because we are gearing up for our virtual event, Homeschooling 101. So let me just put up my little banner here. All right, so all of this is in preparation for our Homeschooling 101 event, Homeschooling 101 event happening tonight. So if you happen to be watching this in real time on December, on December 16th, our workshop is happening tonight at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if you are watching this episode on the replay, I encourage you to go to our YouTube channel and find the replay to the panel there. And it will also be on Facebook as well. And it might even be on Twitter. You know, we'll see how that goes. So again, if you're watching this episode in real time, please sign up on the link below. It is streaming below. Sign up to attend the uh, attend the event. I'm trying to find my words today. And if you are watching this episode on the replay, I encourage you to go to our YouTube channel, go to our Facebook page, and find the replay of the homeschooling event there. So today, our topic is going to be about, well, before I get into the topic, so this whole week we've been doing, <clears throat> we've been doing a homeschooling theme. So which brings me to my topic today, which is homeschooling a child with special needs. So by special needs, just so you have a reference. So by special needs, we are referring to children with learning disabilities, physical disabilities, developmental disabilities. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So when you hear the word, when you hear the phrase special needs, that's what we are referring to. So children who have, again, physical disabilities, um, intellectual disabilities, learning disabilities, cognitive disabilities, so that's what we are referring to. And that is a big part of the, you know, it's a very common thing in the, in the homeschooling arena with children with special needs. And so this episode is about, you know, how to address that, given that um, we're not, well, or you're not <laughs> going through uh, traditional public schooling. So, with that said, my guest today is going to help me navigate that world, and her name is Dr. Rochelle Matthews-Somerville. 
She got a PhD, y'all. And she is going to help me out with this discussion. And I am totally looking forward to this. So I'm just going to get right into it. So who is Dr. Rochelle Matthew Somerville? I'm going to tell you who she is. Okay. Excuse me. Dr. Rochelle Matthew Somerville is a homeschooling mom of six with over 20 years of experience as a university professor, autism specialist, research teacher, and educational consultant in both the private and public industry, supporting individuals and their families with unique learning and behavioral challenges. Currently, she applies her passions for teaching and serving in her roles as team leader of the special need educational consultants at HSLDA and president of EFM Educational Consultants. Dr. Matthew Somerville has most enjoyed sharing her gifts with the homeschool community over the past 13 years as she has served as program director, community instructor, and assessment liaison. She generally enjoys providing encouragement and support to other homeschooling families, especially those educating learners with unique needs in all ways possible. All right, so with that said, I'm going to bring Dr. Matthew Somerville to the stage right now. Hi, how are you doing today? Thank you so much, Gabrielle, for having me. I'm excited to, to be here just to share information and, you know, talk about what I love to do. Awesome. And I look forward to, to chatting with you on that. So let's get right into it. So can you talk about, um, so let's, I know I kind of define special needs, you know, in the introduction, but if using your experience and uh, your knowledge, can you define uh, what is meant by special needs? Sure. Um, well, of course, every child has a special need. Um, you know, even children that are di not diagnosed with any specific um, disability has some type of special need. But for all practical purposes, when, when we're talking about children with special needs, we're typically talking about those that have been diagnosed with some type of um, learning deficiency, um, but you also have the other end of the spectrum, uh, and it's the other end of the spectrum that sometimes we forget about because a lot of times students with gifts are also, they also fall into that category of special needs because student, a lot of, um, a lot of, dis a lot of students with disabilities also are twice exceptional, um, and so they come with a lot of gifts, you know, when we think of, like, for example, autism, you, you have uh, Asperger syndrome, and a lot of those students have some quirky things that are about them, and they may have some deficiencies socially, but they also have really, really, a lot of them have gifts um, intellectually. And so you may have some twice exceptional students there that have gifts and learning disabilities, or, you know, you may have students with some high anxieties to the point where there is considered a disability, whereas at the same time, they may have gifts in some other areas. And so um, when we talk about disabilities, we're not only talking about those traditionally that have some deficiency cognitively. Um, you may also have um, students with impairments physically, um, emotionally, and so, you know, the whole gamut of some type of 
some type of impairment uh, that students typically have. But again, you have to remember those at the other end of the spectrum that have gifts that also require special attention. So that's kind of what we're talking about when we talk about special needs. Thank you so much for that. So a very common issue is, particularly in the homeschooling community, is that um, how, how do they find access to resources? Um, um, how do they find access to resources uh, for their child with, with special needs? So I know in like in the traditional schooling, you know, it's already kind of built into it. You know, the, the school counselor, you send your child to the school counselor and, and uh, or the school psychologist and uh, they assess the child or they, um, not outsource, uh, <laughs> uh, they refer them out uh, to outside sources. So as a homeschooling parent who doesn't have access to those traditional uh, means, how can they assess those same resources for their for their children so this is always a tough one um, when parents with special needs when children with special needs choose to homeschool um, it is a tough one and it does take work and so it definitely has to be an intentional decision um, when you choose to homeschool a child with special needs however um, so a, a, the first thing you need to realize is in a lot of states and a lot of um, counties and, and and districts Parents can choose to maintain um, their services through their IEPs. Um, however, it's not it's not necessarily only the option of the parent, and so it's a team decision. Um, you ha parents have to make the request to school systems, and depending on um, the team decision, whether the student um, needs it or not, some school systems in some counties will allow the school to continue serving the student with the services that they are receiving. Um, now there are some there are some pros and cons to that. Uh, the pros are definitely that you can there is continuity in the service that the child is receiving. And so when parents are coming from an IEP, I always recommend that the parent kind of weigh whether they feel like the services they were receiving for their child were actually quality services. That's the first thing coming out. Um, if they feel good about the services, then I say that it is worth it to kind of request that those services continue. But a lot, in my experience, a lot of parents feel like it either wasn't enough or the services were not quality services. And that may be one of the reasons why they are considering homeschooling or they have chosen to homeschool their child. And so if you're feeling like the services were not quality services or you think your child could benefit from more, um, then I would say uh, cut ties and seek private services. Now, how do you do that? Um, it's not easy. It's not always easy. Some In, in some places, it's a little easier than, than others. Um, the first uh, line would always be, especially for younger children, um, depending on your insurance, would be to go through your uh, your pediatrician. Um, and a lot of times, insurance will cover the cost if you go through your insurance and get a referral. Now, this is insurance specific, and so it depends really on your insurance, whether you have the type of insurance that makes you go out for a referral or not. But a lot of times, um, for 
homeschoolers, the first, the first thing I recommend is, you know, spend some time finding your community because word of mouth goes really, really far. And if you are one of those people that are connected to like a Facebook group, um, some people are like, nope, I can't do technology. I don't want to do those communities. Um, Facebook has created amazing communities when it comes to um, different groups for, for individuals and families who are trying to connect um, when it comes to disabilities and, and homeschoolers. For example, um, in my, I, I actually live in Maryland, and in my particular county, there is a Southern Maryland group for students with, um, for families with kids with uh, autism. And so, you know, when you join that group, it's a really good community to find resources. You know, parents go out there, you know, I'm looking for a psychiatrist, you know, um, in this area. Because a lot of times when you don't have that, you, you don't know who's in your area. And so it's a really good platform to start off with to find professionals in your area to start that resource bank. And as people have good experiences as well as bad experience, they start to share those information. They start to share that information with each other. And it's really powerful um, the way the parents really support each other because the agendas are all the same to serve their kids with the best resources. And so that's always, that's, that's, one, that's one starting place. Um, another is, is if you live in a community where there is a um, university, a lot of times those universities have, um, if they have a psychology or a psychiatry department, and you're looking, for example, for let's say you want your child tested for, you know, annually or you suspect your child has some type of other issue or disability um, compounding their progress at home or something like that. And you and you're looking for another um, type of doctor or maybe a speech speech pathologist. And, the, and there is a school uh, like a school of speech pathologists. Um, at your local university, a lot of time they have clinicians that have to get so many clinical hours to actually um, receive their degree. And so they're working under uh, a licensed uh, clinician. And they are, a lot of universities are taking clients in order to get those, train, those, those students trained. And so you can a lot of times um, use those uh, programs to get, um, get resources for your child and they're usually really really good because of course remember it's not just the the students that are training they're working under professionals um, that you would normally see in their private practices too so that's a really good way to find uh, resources in the community um, another one is there there are a couple of there are a couple of um, just online platforms like psychology today that you could tap into where you psychologytoday.com um, where you would put in your zip code to find local professionals in your area. So if you're looking for a vision specialist or a psychologist or a speech language pathologist, you put in your zip code and you'd say, okay, I want somebody five miles away and um, you would find a professional in your area. So there are lots and lots of ways to find resources in your area, but um, sometimes what it takes to find those resources is connecting with the community to start helping to share how to make those connections. And so making those initial connections isn't always um, easy and um, until you make, make those connections with other people who can share the information with you. So I really, really recommend that if you are really starting out uh, homeschooling a, a, a student or a child with special needs, that you find your community to kind of help with finding those resources, because finding the resources is not easy, but they are out there and it is completely doable. So I, I just encourage you to find your community.
Thank you so much for that. And before I continue, I just want to remind you guys that this is an interactive episode. So if you are watching this in real time, please leave your questions and comments in the chat. Any particular questions, we will do our best to get, we will do our best to answer them. So again, this is an interactive episode and I encourage you to participate. So if you have any questions, please put them in the chat. Now, you, Dr. Somerville, uh, you mentioned earlier about IEPs, uh, which is short for Individualized Education Plan. So do those plans apply to homeschool children or is it just for the traditional, uh, those that are being educated traditionally? So can a, uh, a child who is being homeschooled get an IEP? So as I mentioned before, if, um, it, and it depends on where you where you're living and whether the county or the district that you're in will allow you as a homeschooler to maintain your services through your IEP. Um, so you can request that through your um, meeting as you would your, through your um, you know at the end of the year or wherever you want to pull your team together when you're deciding to pull your child or um, declare to homeschool. Um, when you fill out your paperwork or prior to, you can request that you continue. If you choose to continue your services, you can maintain your IEP. It, um, there is a, something that's equivalent to an IEP, which is an SEP, student education plan, that homeschoolers use. It is not required at all, but it is helpful, a, a lot of families have found, because what it is, it, it is basically um, parallel to an IEP. And it's helpful because what an IEP does is it basically is an accountability piece, right? And so when you, when you bring your child home, you are the accountability piece, right? But it's not as easy as it sounds, or maybe it doesn't sound, um, when you bring your child home because what happens is, is that you are now the administrator of your child's curriculum, your homeschool, your program, whatever you do is now in your hands. And so for a lot of students with that were on IEPs or a lot of students that had atypical patterns of learning, what tends to happen is you know that you're not going to see the rate of learning that you would if you had the typically developing child. So for example, what we expect to see is a year's growth in a year's amount of time. So the second grader is going to be ready for third grade at the end of the year. That's not necessarily true for the child with special needs. And so what the IEP does is the IEP prioritizes what are the priority what are the priorities for this particular school year so when you create an SEP which is equivalent to the IEP you create those priorities and it allows you to actually focus on certain skills okay and so when you focus on certain skills then it gives you a focus and it and it it allows you as the parent to feel less chaotic because if you try to tackle everything that's in that grade level it's not going to work because of course they have an IEP for a reason. They have an IEP because they need focused skills. They can't accomplish everything that is thrown at them. They need to be more focused in their learning. And so it, it creates an accountability piece. The other thing it does too is that if you have older students, um, similar to an IEP, um, the SEP will also have a section where you have accommodations. Like what accommodations do you provide for your child um, when your child is learning in a regular 
situation, do you give them more time? Do you tend to repeat instructions? Um, is it, do you give them pre preferential seating? Are they closer to you? Is there situations where you decrease the surround and the distractions around them? All of those things think about that you naturally do because as they get older, and let's project a little bit further, when they're in middle school, upper middle school, transitioning to high school maybe, let's say, let's say you have a high school, a 10th grader, and now you're ready for them to take the PSAT or the SAT. Okay, well, we need some accommodations, right? Well, those accommodations, um, that SEP, and those accommodations that you wrote on that SEP will be validated when you go to um, request those accommodations from the College Board. The same way that the 504 plan or the IEP accommodations would be turned in to request accommodations in a public school situation, you can use your SEP as documentation for accommodations. Also, as you are matriculating through elementary school, when you have those accommodations documented, and let's say at the end of the year, if your state requires you to um, do end of the year testing, there are a lot of standardized tests that if you have accommodations documented, you are allowed to use those accommodations when you, when you provide end of the year testing for your child. And so there is value in creating an SEP um, at home for your child, even though, Again, it is not required at all. It simply provides um, accountability piece. Um, it, it helps you a little bit. And not only that, when you have to turn in documentation, that accountability piece is really helpful because when you turn in documentation, nobody will look at you and say, well, I don't understand why this student is not making progress. And you can say, well, wait a minute. Here's the child's SEP. This is what we were working on this year. These were the goals, and look how far we've gotten. And so it makes you feel a little bit better, too, because if you have focused goals, as opposed to saying, well, we're going to get through everything that all second graders do, it will make you feel very accomplished as you can check off the boxes for what you're accomplishing. So I'd like to learn more about this SCP. So how how does a parent get one where where does one start so there is a there is actually um so in SEP there's a form so um at, at HSLDA um so at HSLDA we actually have a template for it it's a very generic template and so you you may be able to just google it it really honestly looks like a um the template of an IEP so IEPs generally are generic. It has the same type of information on it. At the very top, it has your information about, you know, your background information, the, you know, your name, your parents' name, your birthday. It has your, your, just your background information. And then it jumps to any background information you want to provide. And then it goes to your goals and objectives. The SEP is very, very similar. The template is just the template. Um, and so you probably could Google one. Uh, like I said, HSLDA has one that they do provide their members. And so if you're a member of HSLDA or would love to be a member of HSLDA, um, we could provide you with one. But like I said, it is a generic template that you could um, obtain. Just there, there's no specific form. Homeschooling is so completely flexible. Um, as the administrator of your homeschool, you can create just about anything, you know, similar to, you know, uh, an SEP, you can do the same with a transcript. There are lots of transcript templates out there. If you Google temp, if you, if you Google transcript, you'll find, you know, 50 different template transcripts out there. 
um, and, and no one is any better than the other, but what you'll notice about them is they have similar information on them. And so it's, it's kind of similar, uh, similar situation with the SEP. You could create one yourself. If you look at your IEP, you can create one that mimics an IEP. So there's no, there's no branded template that is correct or not because again you have become the administrator of your own homeschool and so therefore whatever you create is kind of yours but it is your documentation awesome awesome so in a lot of states it it appears that um homeschooling can start as young as six so I know in traditional schooling, this was called early intervention programs uh, for I think zero to three years old. Um, so I'm wondering if there's anything like that in uh, the homeschooling arena or is it more, you know, whatever the, the families wanna do? You know, lots of families, of course, um, especially bigger families start um, working with their kids um, when they are very, very young, especially especially if they have older siblings. So when you start just a homeschool schedule, you kind of just include everybody because it makes sense. Um, but in terms of the legal ramifications, homeschooling starts when students are legally required to, to be homeschooled. And so that's when you need to turn in those those forms to, you know, that intent to homeschool when they are legally required to homeschool. So before then, parents are free to do whatever they want. Um, they can start when they want, but in terms of when they need to start um, homeschooling on the books, that becomes uh, a situation when they, when, when they when their particular state requires them to start homeschooling. And there are, there are exceptions, um, but those, again, would be state-specific in terms of what your state requires. Like, for example, some states would, would say you must be um, five years old by August, I'm sorry, by October 1st, but if your birthday is October 15th, then you can take this test for, um, and if you meet the, if you pass this test, then all of a sudden you can start kindergarten at this age. And so whatever this, whatever the, the rules are in your state is what you would have to follow. But if you have a younger child that you would like to start um, doing, doing some type of schooling with, then you are more than happy and you're more than eligible to do that. But in terms of being, um, being on paper to homeschool, I believe that that happens when your state requires it. Okay, got you. All right, so I kind of, so going back to accommodations. So, whoops, uh, going back to accommodations. Um, so on the, uh, the, is it the student education plan? Mm -hmm, yes. Okay, so, the SCP is more, um, you know, the parents create it as, you know, not. So I guess let me clarify that. So the SCP, is that something the parents make or is that done by a uh, medical professional? No, the, the, the student education plan is something that the parents completely create. So this is not, this is not, um, this is not a team effort it's it's nothing it is it is what the parent documents and creates so the goals are prioritized by the parent um, they are more than happy to get and i would recommend that the parent get input for example if the child is receiving um if the child is receiving speech therapy then by all means um 
um, I would get the input of your speech therapist because your speech therapist could have input on reading and language goals that would be most appropriate. And not only that, I would also have a section at the bottom for, you know, the amount of services that the child is receiving because when there are some states that require certain hours of instruction. So if your state requires, you know, 270 hours of instruction, you know, in a school year uh, or or in however long, um, then you start adding up those hours. Um, There's some states that might recall, you know, a thousand hours and the parents are like, well, how in the world am I gonna get a thousand hours? That's a lot. Yes, but you also have to remember that all of those ancillary services, if you get speech, if you get OT, if you get PT, all of that adds up. And so when you put those goals on there, that's part of the instruction too. Um, and so sometimes we have to kind of think outside of the box because um, learning doesn't just happen from nine to three. And so sometimes it requires thinking outside the box because I tell people all the time, it's really, really difficult to not learn. But sometimes we, we have to kind of unschool ourselves to, to kind of think outside the box in terms of how we document what we do, especially when it comes time for students with special needs, because a lot of times they don't have those, um, they don't have the, um, the ability to sit at a table and work. And, and sometimes they don't even have the skill levels to be able to produce um, the amount of work that would allow them to sit at a table for hours on end or three or four or five hours to sit at a, uh, to, to produce the amount of work that would take that along at a table. And so, um, you know, it helps to get the input of your service providers, but, but the priorities and the writing of the SEP are, are up to the parent. All right. Awesome. So now that that's clarified, <laughs> so, um, so going back to accommodations, so so the so try to think of an example. So for someone with uh for a child with dyslexia, um, I think there's like a, like there's a little gadget that um, helps them read the letters. I think mm -hmm. um, so little tools like that um, is that provided for um, students who are students who are homeschooled? So, so there is a lot of um, funding, um, and, and I say this gently because it's not easy to find. So there's a lot of funding that is available to homeschoolers. Um, now, this is like the best kept secret. Um, it's almost like, I don't know if you've ever heard that there is so much untapped money out there for college students. And the reason it's untapped is because no one can find it. I mean, finding the money is a full-time job. So it's, similar, it's a similar situation when it comes to um, finding the resources almost for, for students, um, just students in general who, who are homeschooled, especially those with disabilities. There are different organizations that, that provide lots and lots of resources um, to students with disabilities, but you just have to find the, 
the community who can actually point you in the right direction. So these resources are not going to come from your public school system. And this, unfortunately, is a lot of times for students who transition from the public school system, this is who we're used to depending on. You know, So we have our communication system from the public school system. We have our accommodation system, the, the writing pen or things like that from the public school system if you're transitioning from the public school system. And so we're used to depending on them. But when you become a homeschooler, all of that is taken away. And so you then have to reach out to other organizations. And so um, there are other organizations, and a lot of times they are specific to the disability. So there's a, there is the IDA, which is the organization, the International Disability Association, which is the organization um, that, that's the founding organization for dyslexia um, that, will, that will point you to resources for dyslexia. You go there and, and you can find all kinds of, not necessarily you won't find the dyslexia resources, but um, they will most likely have, they will point you to the places where you need to look. And so you, that's a good place to start. You know, if your child has autism, you go to the Autism Society of America, you hit that website and it'll point you to all different kinds of places. It's a good place to start. And so there are other also there are also smaller organizations that have um, that have resources that you can tap into. Um, there's lots and lots of funding agencies that that fund um, the challenges is that they're funding at different periods throughout the the year, and you never know when their uh, funding period starts because it because it's at different times of the year. Um, but again. Um, for those that are HSLDA members, uh, we always have a list of organizations. And although we don't necessarily know the start and stop dates of these organizations, um, it's really helpful to kind of put them in your in your toolkit so that you have the name of them. And just as you get as you get the opportunity, you can kind of make a list of them and call them and and um, and find out when these organizations will open their funding. And so a lot of times, um, uh, this funding will take care of a lot of times curriculum. Um, it'll take care of some of, the, some of the devices. Sometimes if you go to your pediatrician, your pediatrician, um, for example, if, you're, if your child had a communication device, a lot of these devices are provided by the federal government, but it is a third party kind of um, system and so your pediatrician will have the contact for the organization that you then have to contact to submit your insurance to then we'll provide it to you for free so it's a lot of legwork but if it's something your child needs it's worth the legwork but it's almost like you have to know you have to start to build your community um, because it's your community and word of mouth that will start to point you to the resources. And so I can't encourage you enough if you have a child with special needs to understand the value of building your community who is going to point you to the resources because it is not like the public school system where the resources are going to come to you when your team convenes because that was the role of your team. Your community came to you and you were plopped into that community where the resources came to you. So this is kind of different where you have to build your community and that community that you build is then going to point you in which direction you need to go. But then after you find it, you still have to go and seek it. And so there are lots of resources, you know, if it's if it's a communication device you need or if it's a a device you may need um, you may need to seek just funding 
and the funding will specify that it needs to be used for an educational purpose. Um, but there, but there's definitely funding available. Um, you just have to tap into it. So just to sum up what you said, um, so for people, for parents who are homeschooling to access those resources, um, whether it's the accommodations or just looking for a speech therapist or OT um, or any kind of specialist, it would be, they would have to seek those seek those things privately. So whether paying out of pocket or um, getting financial assistance or using their health insurance, it is possible to assess those same resources. It's just a matter of doing research and taking care of it privately. Is, is that the gist of it? Yes, absolutely. All righty. So I'm glad you brought up colleges. Uh, can you talk about the disability services? Can a homeschool child who decides to go to college, can they access those disability services? Yes, absolutely they can. Um, and you know, the interesting thing is, is that disability services at a college or university is almost easier um, to obtain than it is prior to college. Why? Because it's almost that same system as you had when you were in that traditional public school system. Um, and when I say that, it, I'm saying this uh, from the perspective that it's a localized, um, it's a localized office. So each, it's a federal program. And so when you go to the um, university or college, you find that disability office, okay? And when you find that office, it's almost like they're waiting for you and they just need you to let them know what you need and then you're assigned a person who will then help you to navigate what you need, which accommodations you provide them with the documentation, and then they will kind of walk you through the steps. So your job as a parent, if you have an older student, is prior to the time of them leaving leaving um, high school, if they are college bound, is to help them to advocate for themselves. Because now the challenge when you get to the college level is, is that they now are seen as adults. And so they need to advocate for themselves at the college level. So when they reach the disability office, yes, they are your baby forever, but they are now an adult. And so, that is the hardest piece for students with disabilities once they reach the college and university level, is that they have been so used to people taking care of them, advocating for themselves is somewhat a little bit tough. When they get to that disability office, they need to be able to communicate what they need because the disability officer does not want to talk to their mother. They do not want to talk to their father, their aunt, their cousin. They need the person one-on-one -on -one to let them know, what do you need when you go into class? What do you need to help you maximize your ability to learn? Will it help you if you have a scribe? Will it help you if the teacher gives you his or her notes? What do you need to learn? And that student needs to be able to communicate because if the student says, oh, no, I'm fine. I think it's good. I, I'm th I think I'll be fine. No, I don't need anything. 
then they won't get anything. Um, and so the student needs to be able to advocate for themselves once they reach that college campus because they have their support team there, but they do need to ask for it. They're not gonna have anybody there pushing them um, to, to take the services, even if they're eligible for them. Uh, there's nobody there to force them. Nobody's gonna say to their teacher, this student right here has a disability and they need you to give them their notes, but they're eligible for anything they need. And so your job uh, through high school um, and even middle school is to help them to advocate and, and communicate what they actually need. And so kind of pull back a little bit and let them, you know, sit in the, sit in the driver's seat in terms of, of communicating to you. And sometimes it's just, sometimes it is, it's a process of just having them tell you what they need, you know, or, you know, you sitting in the, move over to that passenger seat and put them in the driver's seat a little bit, you know, and just, you know, it, it, it is a transition. It's a transition. And so, but it, it's something that needs to be strategically done. But the encouraging news is that they are, they are very accessible on a college campus and it is, it's not going to be a fight. So if you have a student who is going to need accommodations on a college campus, do not fear that there are tons of supports on a college campus for students that have disabilities. So would the SEP apply to the situation? I'm sorry, uh, would, could it be used for colleges? So for colleges, they will not need an SEP um, because they can get any accommodation that they, that they need. So the SEP basically has goals on, um, on it, modified goals. So they will not need the goals because if they are, college bound and they're taking college courses, they have to be able to access the course. So if they're, if they're taking an English 101 course, for example, what we're saying is, is that they are able to take that English 101 course with accommodations. So they're eligible for accommodations. So if they need, they can ask for more time, they can ask for teacher notes, they can ask for, you know, preferential seating, they can ask for any accommodations that's appropriate, um, that's appropriate for their disability. Uh, however, they still need to be able to access the course. So you couldn't come in and say, well, my student can't really do what you're asking them to do, so can they do 50% of the work? So those are not appropriate accommodations. Those would be adaptations. So it's not appropriate to ask for adaptations. There's a difference between adaptations and accommodations. So adaptations would be modifying the course content and accommodations is basically evening the playing field so they can access the course the same way that everybody else does. And so on a college campus, you basically are able to ask for any accommodation that evens the playing field that allows that, the student to achieve um, what they need to in order to be successful. Fabulous, fabulous. And, um, what about um, SETS programs? So I think it's special education. I forgot what the TSS means, but um, I don't know if you're familiar with SETS. Uh, it might be a New York City thing, but um, SETS programs. Um, I forgot what the acronym stands for, but basically it's they can have the, for like traditional schooling, they can have tutors sent to their homes. Um, um, who have um, uh, who have those credentials? 
So I'm wondering if homeschooled children have access to that as well. So are, are you referring to um, elementary or just in, you're not talking about the college anymore. You're talking about just. Yeah, I'm away from colleges now. So now it's back to elementary, middle school, high school. Sure. So some states, um, some state laws will specify for you, um, you have to, you have options of homeschooling. Um, and some of those options are that the parent will be the primary teacher, that a, that a tutor, they call them a tutor, which is a certified teacher, will be the primary teacher. And others, um, other options are that they will attend some type of virtual school. So, and this is state specific. And so depending on what your options are um, to homeschool, then you may choose that option. Now, while I say that, I, I here in Maryland, can I am homeschooling my kids and I can still have a tutor come in um, and teach my kids any content area that I choose, as long as I remain the primary person who is responsible for their home education program. So for example, if I choose, if I chose, like for example, let me take my son for example. Um, when he, he, my son clearly, he is now a freshman. He is completing his, his first year as a freshman at um, UMBC. And when he um, was in 10th grade, I could clearly see that he had gifts in math, that stretched way beyond what I was able to do. And so around 10th grade, we started to outsource math when he hit calculus. Um, and no, I'm sorry, when he hit pre-calculus. And so um, when in his senior year, he took AP calculus and he literally took it with somebody else. I could not teach AP calculus. So all through his, all through his senior year, he took AP calculus with somebody else. So but I was still responsible for his homeschool program, even though he took AP calculus with somebody else. And so you can still have somebody else teach a course. Um, he was still under my administration for the rest of his program, um, and, that, and that is fine. Um, we also do classical conversations, which is a nationwide homeschool program where we go into school once a week, and the rest of the week I teach I teach him at home. And so somebody else taught him once a week um, in all subject areas. And so it was a combination of having a tutor um, sometimes and then for some areas, for some subject areas like math, somebody else taught him. So that was allowable, even though my option is that I teach him all the subject areas because while somebody was just teaching him one subject, that was still allowed. So you can still outsource some of your subject areas as long as um, somebody is not teaching everything um, unless that is the option that you have chosen for your homeschool and you are in a state that allows that. So in some situations, yes. Awesome, awesome. All right, well, so we are starting to wind down a little bit. So can you talk about why a lot of parents who have children with special needs, why they choose to homeschool as opposed to going through traditional schooling. Because I find that it seems to be very a very common thing. So I'm wondering um, why you think um, parents with children who have special needs um, 
why they choose to homeschool as opposed to going through traditional schooling? I think there are two, two different ends of the spectrum here. Um, there are a group of parents who are running, I believe, from, from a system who I think is failing their children. Um, they're looking and they're feeling like the services they're getting through speech and OT and PT simply aren't enough and the services that they're receiving aren't enough and that their kids are not being, um, they're not being pushed to their potential. And so I think that there are a lot of parents who are leaving and, and coming to homeschool because they, they feel like this, their students are just being failed in the public school system. But I also feel like um, that a lot of parents right now are looking at homeschooling as a viable option to actually bring out something very different in their child. I believe that they see what their child is capable of, you know. And so, you know, I, I tell people all the time, I think the pandemic was a mixed blessing because while we all complain that we were stuck in this house for, I mean, it's going on three years now, we could barely remember what normal was. Um, but I think what I think what's happened is that Parents had that time with their children, and they realize what gifts these kids are and what they're capable of and the amount of progress that they were able to make and what they were able to do in a short amount of time. And I think sometimes is that um, when we are away from our kids for so long, we forget and we're just not aware of what our kids can do. And so I think for a lot of people, um, they are now aware of what their kids have the potential to do, and I think they're running towards that. I think they're running to push their kids, and I think they want to maximize and they want to capitalize on the gifts that their kids have, whether they have a label or disability or whatever they are, whatever whatever label they carry. Um, I tell people all the time, a label or disability is something you have. It is not who you are. You know, if you have autism, then that's something you have. It's like a piece of clothing, you know, regardless of uh, whether you have autism or dyslexia. Okay, fine. Now, what are we going to do with it? When it's cold outside, you put on a coat, you know. You make accommodations and you work, you work through it. You, you figure out what needs to be done in order to still, you know, make the best of the situation. And so that's basically what, it, what it's like. And I think parents have figured that out, that, that disability or that um, that gap or that weakness doesn't have to be the thing that slows them down or stops them. And what does halt progress of students with disability is low expectations. So when they are caught in a system where where they are not pushed or the expectations are low, you cannot get out of that. And so I think what's happening is that parents are running to other options, and homeschooling is a viable option. It's an educational option. It's a way to raise expectations and actually challenge students to see what they can potentially be or, or where we can take them. Um, and so I, I commend parents who have stepped up for the challenge because a lot of times parents didn't feel equipped. But these two years of being in the house have shown parents that they can do it. Is it easy? Absolutely not. But it's not easy to homeschool typically developing children. It's not easy. It's not easy to parent. But we do it. We get up and we do it every morning. And so I encourage parents all the time. They are absolutely equipped. 
um, to homeschool their children with special needs. Um, it's not going to be easy. Finding resources is not easy. Uh, finding services is not easy, but it's absolutely doable. You just have to find your community who will help you to build your resource bank. And once you have everything in place, it's not going to be easy, but it's absolutely doable. And so, again, I think this, this um, pandemic has been an, an absolutely, um, it's been a blessing for many families who now are able to see another side of um, who their kids are and what the potential can be of who their kids can become. And so I think it's, I think it's been a beautiful thing. Fabulous, fabulous. All right, so we are coming to the end here. Do you have any final advice for the people watching? Any final words of wisdom that you want to share? You know, um, if again, my biggest my biggest advice I could give people would be what I just said would be to find your community. Um, uh, homeschooling is not easy. I have been homeschooling for almost fifteen years, and every year is different. Um, I can't say that. It has become easier. It has be. It has been different. Um, we are in a rhythm right now, which is nice. I love homeschooling, but I have six very different learners, and people say all the time, "Well, this should be easy for you." And I'm going to say no because I'm not using the same curriculums. I'm not doing the same thing over because I have six different learners, varying from the gifted learner to the kid with, um, you know. Uh, who's very disorganized, ADHD, that I have to um, pull out all the tricks and hats for. But I love every bit of homeschooling and planning. And, you know, God keeps me on my toes. And I love every single bit of it. I have used my community. I have used my resources. And I have been put on a path where um, I love to uh, serve. And so this is what puts me in this position. And so I encourage everybody to continue to do what you're doing. You're doing a fabulous job. If you have chosen to homeschool, then you have been chosen. And I just, I just suggest that you find your community and figure out what it needs, what you need to do to make it work. Because homeschooling is absolutely possible for everybody. It's not just for some, but it is for everybody if that's what you want. And the only people that will benefit from homeschooling are your children. Thank you so much for that. And thank you, Dr. Somerville, for joining me today on this discussion. So let me put up your little banner here. All right, so Dr. Somerville is part of the HSLDA, which is the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. And she is also a member of EFM Education. Can you, can you talk about that? the that latter one absolutely so esm educational consultants is actually my own consultant organization and um founded it quite a few years ago with my mother um, um my mother uh eileen matthews she has always had a heart for uh, just like me for um, you know mentoring the community she retired from gallaudet university and so she's always been in the field of special education too. And so we just had a heart for mentoring and sharing information with the community. And so we decided that the best way to touch people and touch lives was to share our breadth of knowledge and, um, you know, um, just just love for, for, 
for supporting and um, supporting the community through creating an organization that just that just shared a wealth of information through resources and things, um, you know, by creating our own organization. And so we did. So I encourage you visit uh, www.efmeducation.com. And I also work for HSLDA, which is another homeschool organization, which for almost 40 years has been helping homeschooling possible for millions of families. We currently have over 100,000 members. Um, and if you haven't heard about HSLDA, uh, which I mentioned a couple times, we are the largest, um, we're the largest homeschool organization, advocacy organization for homeschoolers. And basically our mission is just to protect the freedoms of homeschoolers, um, protect the rights of homeschoolers in court, advocate for homeschooling freedoms in each state. And it's, we fight for state legislation to advance homeschooling in the public arena. We also have educational consultants who are there to offer personalized guidance and answer um, all the questions about homeschooling, including getting started, learning disabilities, high school. We have um, consultants at the pre-K through eight special needs and high school level. And of course, the biggest piece that I continue to talk about is just uh, we are there actually to build our efforts in uh, building a community to make sure that homeschooling remains possible for everybody. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much for that. And on that note with HSLDA, I'm going to play a little video that outlines what's, what they're about. Morning, sunshine. Made you something. It's empty. It's empty for now. ecosystems and this is a forest. What are all these other doors? Go find out. What are you waiting for? Hi! There's a good hold up to your left. Is that mom? You want to go next? Don't worry. I'm holding the rope down on this end so mom's not going to fall. It's a basic pulley system where the weight and the distance are directly proportional. Yeah, that sounds really Even cooler. They're called nebulas. You want to see? Wow. What do you think? I love it. So when we're done here, where do you want to go next? 
And there we go. So definitely um, check out the HSLDA. They have a wealth of resources for you to check out. And I even encourage you to, to join the HSLDA as well to get access to a variety of resources and even those forms that uh, Dr. Somerville was talking about. All right, so Dr. Somerville, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoy uh, I enjoy the conversation, and I I, I really do enjoy us spreading information and and helping to let people know that they can homeschool. It's possible. Awesome, awesome. All right, so thank you, and I'm going to place you backstage now. And you guys, it is just you and me. So I'm going to put up my little banner here. Okay. And that concludes our episode. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please check out our, so if you're watching this on YouTube, please check out our other videos and clips and don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. If you're watching this on Facebook, please give us a like and also head on over to our YouTube channel and give us a subscribe as well. And if you just so happen to be watching this on Twitter, uh, please follow us on Twitter, then head on over to Facebook, give us that like, and then head on over to YouTube and give us that subscribe. Also, if you have, for our YouTubers and our Facebookers, uh, let us know what you thought about this episode by leaving a comment in the comment section below. And if you would like to learn more about A Step Ahead Tutoring Services, you can find us on our uh, various platforms, which is scrolling right below, and some that I mentioned to you just now. And we are also online. Our website is www.asstepaheadtutoringservices.com. Hmm, www so normally at this point, I would talk about my crowdfunding campaign, but because HSLDA is a nonprofit, I'm going to encourage you to head on over there. Their website is hslda.org and make a donation today. You can donate your money or your time. Just donate, donate, donate. Please support uh, that organization. So that is it for our episode today. If you so happen to be watching this in real time, I encourage you to check out our Homeschooling 101 virtual panel. It is gonna be playing on our YouTube channel and our Facebook Live. At this point, signing up has probably been cut off at this point but you could still go to our YouTube channel and our Facebook page. And if you are watching the replay, please check out the replays as well on those um, two mediums that I just mentioned. So thank you so much for joining us today and I will see you next time, whenever that is. Thank you.